We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. Hello and welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is me, Lean, from arsenalvision.co.uk. In today's show, we are Timless, so Elliot and Paul will be talking about the 3-2 victory at home to bogeyside Swansea City. A rather weird match it was too. A game which we could have quite easily beaten them 5 or 6 nil, or 5 or 6-2, and been quite comfortable, very comfortable, turned into a game where we were clinging on to the end. and felt nerves like that watching Arsenal for, for a little while now. Yeah, going down to 10 men and missing a load of chances doesn't help. Uh, I must admit, when, when I saw the uh, Granite Jacker foul, my first thought was it was a bad lunge and a bad kick to um, that guy. What's his name? Barrow. But when I look back on the replay, uh, it's quite clearly just a trip. So I have some, some sort of sympathy for Moss, even though he made a lot of poor decisions in the game, I thought, along with his, his assistant um, on the far side, giving offsides at every, every decision. So uh, anyway, we dug in, we held on, and we got another crucial three points after the international break, uh, which which, um, which is important to, to factor into this because often we come back from internationals not finding our best form and we've often dropped points in the past. So um, you've got to take the three points where you can and uh, get, especially against a team who we haven't beaten since 2011 at home, which is crazy. I, I know our, our record against them has been quite, quite bad, but 2011, wow, that's now solved and uh, put aside, so that's good. Yeah, long may our run continue. Six games on the bounce. Level points with Man City, eh? Who would have thunk it? Everyone was saying that they're going to win the league and they've won the league after six games or whatever it was. And um, yeah, that may, that may still be the case, but we are we are doing well. And we are we're right up there. On merit. So anyway, back off to um, the Champions League game in midweek. Enjoy the podcast and see you later. 
run-of-the-mill victory with hardly any talking points means nobody shows up to discuss it. This is the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. My name is Elliot Smith, and you can block me on Twitter, Yankee Gunner. Um, Tim is not here. I am technically not here. Paul is here. You can find him on Twitter at PauseNewMyPants. Hello, Paz. Fuck him. Fuck him all. Yeah, exactly. I'll do it on my own. Yeah, fuck everybody. Um, and, you know, depending on what you read, it's a possibility that one of the presidential candidates has done that. Um, anyway, uh, so Tim can't make it. I am traveling. Uh, I'm at family, at family. I am at uh, the home of family and recording Heavy this. with child. Yes, I am with child uh, and wife and family. And I am recording this on iPhone earbuds. So we're going to try to be uh, short and sweet on this one even though there's plenty to talk about in what was uh, indeed quite an entertaining and event-filled 3-2 victory for Arsenal uh, over Swansea. Uh, Sort of a bogey side for Arsenal, so it was good to get it done. Beat uh, American manager Bob Bradley in his debut. Um, While I wish him well, I was rooting for the 10-0 drubbing on on his debut. Didn't happen. Um, We fielded an unchanged side from the one that, uh, prior to the international break, had... Uh, really gotten on a roll, and we picked up our sixth victory, sixth consecutive victory. And you know, you look at it, and and you say, "There's really something special building here." And then, of course, Shaka goes and gets a red card, and that's going to create a lot of talking points and issues to get to. So, before we get to that, um, let's talk about the way we came out of the blocks, Paul. And it's really apparent now that there is um, an understanding that's developing. And I know it it wasn't the the brightest start right off the bat. But actually, you know, to be fair, it kind of was the brightest start right off that. But yeah. but uh, you you see the partnership. So so the first thing I said, ignore that. Go with the second thing. You see the partnerships developing, and and what I want to basically ask you is, now that we're seeing this flowing, uh, efficient, dynamic football, is it is it crystallizing for you at all? Maybe why there was such fr- frustration prior to this is. Is this really the return to football that we consider Wenger ball but haven't seen for a long time? Um, I'll, I'll probably hand it back to you quick because that's not my sense of it at all. I mean, uh, there was a lot of frustration very early this season, for example. And like, as you know, I kind of didn't get it. I mean, I got, mm-hmm. I, got, I got the frustration. I just thought it was way too early. Um, there seemed to be the elements in most areas of the team we just needed a better front three that, as you said, got each other and had an understanding. And we just didn't seem to have that. And as soon as that clicked, we seemed to be in business, you know, solved our problem, our problems with things like, oh, our XG score is way low and where are the goals going to come from? And, you know, who's going to score 20 plus goals? Well, you know, we might revisit those questions in a month or so the way things turn. But right at this moment, if we freeze time, you know, uh, things are looking pretty good until you look to the bench and you say, you know, where is the game changer if we know if we need a goal? That's kind of our one shortcoming at the moment. Um, in terms of style of play, I mean, last year was a very frustrating season in terms of our style of play after about November. Uh, I don't mm. really get people who didn't enjoy, say, October, November with Arsenal. Uh, we we had a bit of a slow start. Then we got in the swing. Then the f- football was pretty good. Now, people have preferences be- in terms of how good football was at one time versus another. We certainly haven't played like this often enough over the last few years. But I just don't think we've it, – it, maybe it's the same thing. I, I just don't think we've 
been that great. You know, there was the year we were top of the league for like, you know, uh, till the new year and stuff and all that. I didn't think we were playing particularly good football generally uh, in terms of quality and in terms of display. And I think those two things go together. But, uh, you know, the one point I would uh, that maybe you could persuade me on is, you know, Giroud as a player doesn't lead to the most exciting football, even though I think we all rate him. Some of us rate him higher. And I like the guy and I like what he does for us. But definitely, you know, my heart sinks a little bit. And I feel bad about this for, for the lad because, like I say, I, I do value his contribution. To me, he, I mean, we've we've all said this. He's an option B. Uh, he's plan B. And he plays kind of plan B football. Um, he's very good. He's very classy. Uh, really good at link-up play. But when you have... Alexis doing what he does at the moment. I mean, he really is a false something or other, a false nine. Mm -hmm. You look at it, you look at any of the goals. It's laughable when you have the, you know, the Theo isn't a striker conversation. That ar argument going on verbally between Theo and Wenger. I mean, it matters not a whit when you look at where he is in terms of, uh, you know, take pretty much all his five uh, goal chances, which, you know, probably should have got four out of the five. He's pretty central at the end of the day. I mean, you're kind of pitting, picking nits at that stage, pitting nicks. Um, that too. So, yeah. So the Alexis thing brings Theo into, into interesting spots. All that movement leads to exciting football. That, that, you know, for, that, uh, for the, the good Theo goal, um, the first one, there's a lovely swirl of play going on on the left. You see that quite often, you know, it will be Cazorla, mm -hmm. Alexis, all doing things, you know, Alexis's ball, uh, ball out to the right to Bellerin, who's coming in, um, heads the ball, ball across the box. And, you know, he, there's just lovely movement there for the for the third for the peach of a goal, which we should spend some time talking about. There's a beautiful swirl going on the left with Iwobi, who's just previously done a slaloming run through the heart of their defense as kind of some body blows into the body to loosen them up. And then we swing, you know, Kazorla swings it out to the right. Uh, Ozil has done a, a false run that that uh, doesn't get past to, but puts him in a perfect spot. You know, the amount of time Ozil now spends on the left wing, uh, as opposed to Iwobi necessarily... You know, Alexis drops out there. There's there's just lovely movement that is very hard to defend against. And I, I think, you know, Swansea did some bus parking along the way in this. And I think we handled it very well. Maybe they don't park a bus as well as a Burnley. Mm -hmm. But but uh, and maybe they got a new manager in. But we really moved them around, swinging it from one side to the other. So I'd, I'd kind of I kind of shy away from agreeing with your proposition, except you know, what really, uh, I guess your style of play is really determined by the front three. So maybe you have a strong point there. I, I think my, my, my point is just that I find that as I'm watching Arsenal now, some of the things that I might've been more annoyed by in the past or errors that would have bothered me or issues that would have really had me irritated or substitutions that would have aggravated me aren't as much because I'm enjoying the football this Arsenal team is playing. And, you know, the way that, 
they are enjoying themselves and the creativity and the expression. And it's, it's all the things that we both praise and criticize about Arson, where we say, you know, he doesn't do tactics and he just tells the players to go out there and express themselves. Well, they've been set up in such a way this season, you know, pressing a little more, a little more front footed. Um, some of the, that sort of left side overload that we're doing where Theo has a lot of room on the right flank to operate, um, to come in on the channels. Like it's creating a lot of really dynamic play. And as a result, I'm enjoying the football. And ordinarily, you know, a podcast following giving away a couple of calamitous goals and a red card and making our life difficult in seasons past might have led to a lot more whining on my part, certainly. But I just don't feel inclined to whine about it. And, you know, when I think about... Uh, I was going to say earlier, and for that, we can all be we grateful. We can all be grateful. Yes. Well, well, I mean, and you, you can... The perfect contrast, Paul, is the loss to Swansea at home last season, where mm. we were so lethargic, where the football was so diabolical. And, you know, look, we all want to see Arsenal play. I look forward to every Arsenal game. But there were times last season, the second half of the season, and in previous seasons of recent memory, when I just didn't look forward to the football we were going to play. And yeah, you know, I, and I'd just say... To me, there's a difference. So I agree with that. I, I wasn't enjoying that football either. And we've had other periods. I do think there's a difference when our options are so poor and we don't play well versus when our options are kind of what the plan was and we don't play okay. well. Okay, no, that, that that's fair. I, I look at it this way. I think pulling out Giroud and putting in Alexis in the center and taking Alexis's sort of, I guess I would say, isolationist style when he's on the wing, that... that that mm. desire to carry the ball, the dribble, and replacing it with a Wobie's. And granted, I'm saying this in a game when a Wobie had a tremendous dribbling skill where he took took on five different players. But but a Wobie's ability to sort of exchange quick one-touch passes and move the ball quicker. And everybody's just come alive. If you look at pass maps, heat maps, yeah. Ozil is playing slightly more advanced than Sanchez, but both on the edge of the area. There's a four-man sort of overload just to the center left of midfield in that half space of Cazorla, Awobi, Alexis, and Ozil. And Theo's got all of that right side, that channel, and, and some of the center space to work in. And he really is exploiting it. And, you know, he, he, both of his goals came from really a, a predatory striker position yeah. prior or following some some good build-up play. And, I want to talk about the second goal because I think, well, the, 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 let's let's take them individually. The first goal, Paul, is a striker's instinct. And isn't this sort of the classic example that, that when you put the right players on the pitch who understand movement and have, have that, that range and that ability to sort of understand space, that it doesn't matter if you're technically the striker or technically the winger, you're going to have opportunities as we saw, you know, Ozil in sort of nominally a striker position, score a goal, Theo score two from the striker position. This is this system. This Would you say that Theo's first goal in particular is sort of the, the peak expression of how this system creates opportunities for players? Yeah, I think so. Because as you say, he starts out right. It's a Wobie who kind of does the diagonal run across the midfield, um, plays it to Theo, who knocks it to Alexis, and Alexis knocks it over the top. But Theo's doing a diagonal run, uh, keeps going towards the, the penalty spot, basically, then mm-hmm. arcs back around. And it's kind of the goal that people said Theo wouldn't or couldn't score because he's uh, basically in there bumping around. You know, it, it's striker's instinct to be in the right place, but he also comes out the right side of, you know, some shoulders, some elbowing. And, uh, you know, gets his shot off quickly. Mm-hmm. I mean, he does have quick feet. Um, so 
to me, it's kind of a surprising goal for Theo. It's kind of a bonus goal, but he's right in the thick of it, and he heads for the thick of it. So uh, I think that's very much the case. And, you know, the 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 third goal, the Ozil goal, is also – I mean, it's somewhat different, but it's – again, it involves Ozil out to the right, stretching the pitch against a park bus, mm-hmm. and, uh, and uh, Cazorla finding him swinging out there. And again, another – uh, chip from Alexis going in the opposite direction this time. Um, and it's just really good, beautiful movement. And as a defense, you don't know where it's coming from. This one's more of a counter-attacking goal. Uh, the Ozil goal is kind of the the classic how do you break down a 10-man uh, defense. It was nine men and then it became 10 men just before we started swinging the ball across the other way. Uh, without having a Giroud in place. And, you know, the the commentator on the Ozil goal is saying, I wonder if the keeper should have come for that. But when you look at what Alexis did, I mean, it was a beautiful, it was nice and high and loopy, but arching back towards Ozil. So, I mean, very clever play. Uh, and again, in both cases, swinging the ball from one side to the other, out to Theo. And, uh, you know, Theo does two different things in those situations. But, that's the dynamism. It's kind of that swirl of players. Any five of the six up front, you know, because all of them are involved. I think I'm sure we're going to talk a lot about Chaka, but he tends to sit back just that little bit more and play maybe the ball before we get into the swirl or mm-hmm. support that movement. And, uh, you know, you and I had a bit of a a, uh, a disagreement or a, 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 a battle over Chaka. Uh, on the internets, which I, I'd like to talk a little bit yeah, more Yeah, I've got a whole segment of, devoted to Shaka, yeah. just like I used to have a whole segment devoted to Coughlin, yeah. because that's sort of the, but, hot, the but, hot topic. Yeah. But that front five, I mean, it's just, it's kind of delicious. I wasn't that high on this game. I, I think they shot my nerves, but I wasn't that high on this game the first time round. I liked our attacking and our chances. But when I, when I did my usual annoying thing of, of talking, well, I guess the annoying thing is talking about it, uh, watching it a second time, I really upgraded, you know, the 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 fuck ups apart. If you're allowed to do that, mm-hmm. I think this was a really good performance. I thought it was brilliant. I, I thought the attacking yeah. football was brilliant. And and here's the thing, you know, I I mean, I, I want to talk about Theo's second goal in just a second, but you know, the manager said something, and I've been critical of things he says after the match, but you know, he 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 talked about. <laughs> when we went up the two goals and maybe lost concentration a little bit, then went up the two goals again and maybe lost concentration a little bit. What I saw was something that's annoying, but also something you kind of want to see a team doing. When we got up 2-0, they started having fun. There were back passes and flicks and no-look passes. And again, you, you need to stay professional and focused and, and kill the game. A two-goal yeah. lead is, is not a certainty. And we made it nervy for ourselves. But in both of those instances, once we went up two goals, you started to see some really sensational individual expression and combinations developing. The problem was we didn't have the focus and the ruthlessness to finish those moves. Um, And that's got to change, but maybe the nerviness of the end of the game will sort of be the reminder not to to take your foot off the gas in the future. And I know it's easy to say. And to your point in terms of focus and nerves and all that, one of the things that helps a team start to purr is the belief that they're actually good, that that chance you get in the 16th minute isn't going to be the only chance you get, Theo, that you might actually have a bunch more. Now, you mightn't have any more, but you don't want, you don't want to receive that chance thinking, oh, shit, 
this is probably my only chance. So, you know, Theo's going to come out of that thinking, shit, I should have scored five. He's going to relax a little bit more and it'll help his focus. I thought it was ironic that he was asked in the press conference after the English England game if that performance would affect his uh, his play for the club. And, of course, it he bristled. He bristled at that. It's got nothing to do with anything. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so, so his second goal, the only reason I wanted to touch on it is I think it's sort of being talked about just like he just smashes it in, just like it's an easy yeah. goal. There's some really excellent skill there because he, he pulls it down and swivels on it and kind of volleys it in. It's a clever little touch, isn't it? Yeah, I can't remember the game. I don't even know if it was last season. It might have been the season before. But he does something similar like that where he very quickly gets his feet sorted and blasts it into the net. He does very nicely here. This is kind of like a training, you know, he's probably scored a thousand of these in five asides in training. And this, you know, really nice, quick movement, quick feet, turns it around, blasts it past the keeper. Um yeah, I mean, he, his first touch puts the ball where he needs it to be, and bang. Yeah, and basically catches it on the volley. And I think, you know, someone asked the manager about Theo, and they said, "Is what was it? Was it his application or his resist? something?" They said, "Is is Resilience? he a little bit more resilient this season?" And I think the manager said, "I think you can leave out the little bit." Yeah, you know, the the goals. The thing I like about them is. Um, Theo could always run, you know, run past someone and score. Theo could always make a darting run and open up his yeah. body and score, or score low across the keeper. But he wins the header on the corner kick to get us the last minute winner. True. You know, he 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 takes the ball so away much from more the defender involved. at the near post. Yeah, he he pulls the ball down in a in a scrum at the at, in the box and swivels on it and scores. He's He's not just scoring or creating one type of goal now. He's scoring and creating all different types of goals. Um, and I think you really don't want one-dimensional players in your team if you can avoid it. And Theo, even at his best, prior to this sort of incarnation of, of Theo, was somewhat one-dimensional, and he's not. Yeah. Maybe a player you could argue has been a little one-dimensional for us is Iwobi, only in the sense that for all of his flair offensively, he is a little bit of a liability defensively still. And you can see sometimes he puts the effort in, but it doesn't come naturally yeah. to him. And there's been a lot of criticism for Nacho Monreal for his performance on the day. And he yeah. didn't turn in his greatest performance. But I think, you know, Barrow really gave him trouble. But Barrow gave him tr- And, you know, people are saying, oh, when Gibbs came on, it was a totally different story. Well, Gibbs came on when Barrow went off. But Barrow gave him trouble because Iwobi rarely helped him. And on, on the second goal they scored, which was right before Iwobi got hooked, Awobi was sort of standing watching Nacho try to deal with him on his own. What did you well, make of that battle on the wing? Yeah, that was, that particular one. The, there might be a reason where we pull him off after 70 minutes because um, it gets yanked on 69 and it's just after that. And Iwobi has actually tracked back all the way to where Monreal is facing Barrow. And he, at that point, he thinks his job's done. What he should have kept doing was going past Monreal. Of course, yep. To, to cover the byline, but... You know, Iwobi still doesn't get it that he, he's now meeting the contractual requirement of tracking back. Yeah, I mean, I'm in the area. Off. Look, I'm in the defensive area. Yeah, yeah. I'm no, back. I, and, you I'm know, home. I mean, I'm home. Mom hangs people, up his coat, heads up to his bedroom. People act like defend, you know, for a winger, or, you know, or a wide attack forward to defend. It's purely application. Application is a big part of it, but it is a skill, too. Just like that beautiful dribbling Maisie run he made, and just like all of his you know, beautiful one-touch metronomic passing, he's going to have to learn 
and he's a young footballer. He's going to have to learn how to support his fullback defensively um, when he needs to really be there and when he can be a little bit more free free roll. Um, but I, but, I just think, yeah, go ahead. But um, Monreal is always going to have this issue because his left wing side is going to be covered by either Alexis, if Giroud's pl- playing through the center, Hopefully or Iwobi, or Ozil. Right. So this is his life. Iwobi is probably going to be the best of the three of them as time progresses. So uh, I have this crossover point concept, which shouldn't be too hard to get. Mm. If we take Coquelin versus Chaka, I would say we're pretty close to the crossover point. Now, you would have said maybe we were there a game or two ago. I'm now kind of at the, all right, we might be there now, where Mm. the performances or the form or whatever you want to call it, you know, you would say, and I, I would say they're at the crossover point, and maybe Chaka maybe has more upside, though I think Kakalan will progress, continue to progress, in my view. But my question is, is Monreal and Gibbs now at a potential crossover point? I mean, it's not one game. It's been a number of games. He can be skinned on the outside. He is the wing they tend to target if they have a pacey player. There's no point in targeting Bellerin. They get no change out of him. Um, I remember what's-his-face. It's not Coleman. Who's the other winger for Bayern? Um, It's not uh, Coleman. Who's their boy? Yeah, no, I I know who you're talking about. Oh, Costa. Costa. Yeah. Uh, You know, the The problem is I can only think of Ribery and Robin, and they haven't played. Yes. So Costa, you know, played two-thirds of a game against Bellerin and then decided actually Bellerin kind of upped his game during that and he switched over to the Montreal wing to see if he could get get some change there. If you look at the PSG game, that's where we got skinned continually. Yeah. So if you got a skillful, pacey winger, um, I, I know you and Tim aren't as high on Gibbs as me, but I never thought he did very much wrong when he played for us. I, I, generally, we rated him very highly. And he's just faster. Uh, I don't really remember him ever getting skinned by anybody. And uh, I know this isn't popular, and I love Nacho, but you, you've criticized me in the past for not criticizing players. <laughs> There's my vulnerability in, in this current team. I, I would be very tempted uh, to look at Git. Now, I do love a lot of what Nacho does, but that's our more defensive wing. It's Bellerin who does the attacking. Um, and now Monreal does a lot of good support play, but I guess in my mind, I keep going back to that. Is this a time that Gibbs deserves a run? So I'm sure most people say no. Um, cause, cause he's always going to have a, a, uh, less than entirely diligent. It, it's amazing that on the other wing, Theo and Bellerin have worked it all out. Uh, it, we were talking, we were singing the praises of Theo, but one of the things somebody said on Twitter, which I, I thought about and then looked at, after he misses that, Iwobi does a slaloming run, knocks it into the center. Theo has a wide open goal and misses. And he has a an instant where he's like disappointed and then immediately starts pissing back down the right wing, which is amazing. If you mm-hmm. think of, of what he, he's switching out of striker mode and just. You know, for Theo, it's not amazing for other players, but it's kind of amazing for Theo. So the right wing is kind of, they've worked out the responsibilities. The le- Our left fullback is is potentially going to have a lot of work to do this season. And I guess I, 
I'm asking the question. Yeah, I, I with think no optimism. No, I, yeah, <laughs> I, I think you know the fact is like there are going to be some trade-offs for this scintillating attacking football and for the the introduction of a young attack-minded wide player like Iwobi. Um and and the repercussions are that you know especially considering we push both fullbacks forward quite a lot um there there's going to be chances that come down the flanks i mean the way you're going to attack arsenal is down the flanks right i mean yeah. especially if you uh, have where we a strong pacey wide player yeah and especially when we have no height in the middle at the moment or or generally throughout the team you know well, the, the I answer want, has I want to, to ask be attacked down the sides so so let's do this cuz cuz I, I want to get to to the the goals we conceded and I want to get to the Shaka debate which is going to going to lead to you know probably yeah. a, a a lot of little topics but um we'd be remiss if we didn't say a word quickly about Ozil's goal which was brilliant um superb the thing i love here is again and and i've banged on about this for so long the, the way great teams win is they get contributions from all their players, but their absolute best players take them up a level. And, and when the best players are involved and interacting and exchanging passes and, and on the same wavelength, that's when those teams really sparkle. Um, and you see it with Sanchez and Ozil this season Alexis's free roll in the center to drop a little deeper, to run behind, to, to be more involved. And Ozil's ability to then do the same and sort of switch with him. If you look at the pass maps and the heat maps from this game, Ozil was nominally just a little bit more advanced than Alexis and both were just slightly left of central uh, of center. Um, Alexis gave seven passes to Ozil, and Ozil gave seven passes to Alexis. You know, that's pretty good exchange. And, and the goal was a classic example. Ozil sees the space to run into. Alexis sees the run developing. He has the skill to play the ball. Messit has the skill to make the finish. That's the, Ozil waves calling for it. Yeah, yeah, he, he calls for it. They're, they're on. That, isn't that exactly what you imagine when you go and buy... 40 and yeah. 50 million pound players that they will create moves and finish moves that other players can't. Yeah. Um, to make themselves unplayable, yes. which is what they did in that situation. And this is not the first time I think we've, we've had various forms of this discussion in our extended group, but it's not the first time Alexis put his foot on the ball, looks up and picks out that cross, usually to Ozil. Um, you know, the, there was the, the classic Ozil uh, streaking through the middle and uh, putting away with a, a thundering header um, from the other side. And it, it's a thing of beauty when your two players conjure something up against what's basically a packed defense. Um, and it was really, but it involved everybody. It involved Awobi's slaloming run was just before it. He does a little. Uh, play over on the left. Cazorlis swings it out. Theo has stretched the play, uh, but hits it to Alexis. A short pass to Alexis, who looks up. Uh, but we have them stretched, and uh, Ozil's made a run onto that kind of the shoulder of the, of the the centre back. But they're now no longer paying attention to him because the ball swung the other way. Um, and Ozil's in that position. He's finding himself in more than any season before, 
where he's a goal threat. And just like uh, Wenger and Theo are having this war of words, uh, I over-dramatize it a little bit, but this mm. battle about you know what his role is, you have the same thing going on with Ozil and Wenger. Every two or three weeks, one of them, you know, uh, Wenger was saying in training he scores when he wants that the keepers don't, he's the player the keepers have most trouble distinguishing yeah, where he's going to put quote, the ball. Yeah. And he's like, they won't let it go. In three weeks' time, Ozil will be back up there saying, yes, yes, I, I could score more. But the most important thing is that we get a goal. And if the most effective way is to do an assist. And, you know, later on, he's slightly offside, which is another beautiful moment in a way, because he's on the shoulder again of the last defender. There was one where he wasn't offside. That was a bad yeah. call. That, yeah. 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 Anyway, sorry. Go ahead. And, uh, you know, he, cr he squares it to Theo, which in this case was the right thing to do, yeah. but it, it's all offside. Um, and it's just, he's going to be in that position a lot this year if we keep playing like this, uh, where he's he's nominally our kind of our a uh, pulled in left winger, um, deputized for certain points during the, during the game. He does that where Iwobi doesn't. Iwobi generally isn't trying to get in behind. Mm. Uh, it's Ozil who will find himself on that left shoulder, or maybe Alexis. So, uh, but, I mean, it's, it's, it's fun to watch, and at times it seems they can do it at will. Yeah. And uh, in a game which, in previous seasons, we might have struggled to score one or two, we should have scored five or six. Theo alone should have scored well, that, that is five. a good point, right? I mean, if you want to say that this is a game where we got lucky and we could have drawn or lost, I think you have to also acknowledge that this is a game where we could have been up by four, you know, before the red card or, bef you know, before we ever had any trouble at all. The, the XG, which we're sort of fond of bringing up here, sort of showed the game to be what it was. I think we were yeah. in the three-point-something range and they were in the one-point-something range. That's a lot of XG. Um, you know, we yeah. really, we really could have put this game to bed. And when we were two goals up both times, there were a lot of opportunities. I mean, and also Theo hit the post twice. There was the one late where I, you know, the, the crowd roared. We thought it was in. Um, there were, there, you know, there were misses uh, for Alexis, um, for Theo, obviously. Just a lot of good opportunities that, that we didn't convert. And, and also some of those you know, sort of typical Arsenal build-up opportunities, so to speak, where we just missed the final ball. I, I think... There will be people who will be annoyed by this game because of the way we defended, and especially defended for the goals, which wasn't particularly good. Um, and I, I think the question I want to ask you, Paul, is we are seeing in Mustafi a player who defends very well with Koscielny, with the high line, who is good at, you know, has good recovery pace, is good on the ball, plays a nice pass. Um, he has been a tremendous defender in space. Where we've seen yeah. him struggle has been defending deeper in the box, aerial duels, positioning on uh, opposition attacks once they get sort of in behind and then he has to defend in the box. Do you have any concern about Mustafi based on that when we get up against some of the bigger sides that may have possession against us about or, you know, against games like against Middlesbrough where we're going to face some teams that, that are better at heading the ball? Do you have any concerns about him defensively with respect to his deeper defending in, in the box. Yeah, I mean, it's that understanding thing, and especially that goal that uh, 
By, by the way, just real quick, I'll interrupt just to say, if you read 7 a.m. kickoffs by the numbers column on Ars blog, it was a great one this time. And uh, one of the things he highlighted is that, you know, you don't get credited with losing an aerial duel if you don't compete for the ball. And he was saying that Mustafi wasn't credited with losing any aerial duels because so many of the headers that he conceded, he wasn't close enough for it to be considered a duel. He just, his positioning when defending deeper does not seem to be as good as when he's defending out in space. Yeah, I mean, my take on it is it's an understanding problem. I mean, there's, when that ball from uh, Barrow gets cut back into the central area, uh, I mean, the guy's in, just in an acre of space, and you see Koscielny and Mustafi looking at each other, and I think you see Mustafi kind of first gesturing, you know, what the fuck, and then kind of maybe that was on me because it's it's that bit behind Koscielny where Mustafi's the guy who can see, you know, he's got the 360 on it, um, and he should have stepped out and closed the guy down. So I... I mean, I think he'll. I would like to think he'd get a lot better at that and working out who, who's got the handoff. And you know, it's it's a different setup. Uh, probably still all feels a bit strange. He's in some ways he's done so well. We've assumed that this shit would have stopped by now. But I mean, what stri- what centre back doesn't come in and take a while to adjust? He's done very well. Um, I, I think, think what I'm alluding do. to, Paul, though, is just that for me, I still see stylistically that if we were going to be in a game where we'd expect to be defending deeper and have to be organized that way, I still see Murtisacker as the kind of defender who excels in that situation, maybe a little more than Mustafi, just style Sure, sure. I mean... He, and he brings some physical attributes that we need too. Well, yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, we we lose. I think something like the the most headers, or we've allowed the most headed goals, yeah. or so. There's, there's some statistic I don't have in front of me, but I, but but the thing is, we don't really have any games where we aren't going to spend half of it with the high line. Is the problem? Well, look, I agree. The one thing I'll say is, if we are really committed to pressing more and playing up the pitch more, and that's how we're going to play. These are, the right roll, center, these are the right center backs for it. And if that's not going to be a horses for courses style, and if we're going to try to impose ourselves even on the good teams that way, which I hope we do, because I think we're better at that than sitting in a shell. I, you know, I think that you know, apocryphal Manchester City performance was more by accident than by intent, and I think it's held up way too often as a model for a new, grittier Arsenal style. I don't think that's how we want to play, even in the big games. Um and you yeah, saw against I never Chelsea. Did. I never did think. I always thought it was done under suffrage by Wenger. Yeah. Um, you know what? I even buy into the fact that it was something of a player-driven initiative. And I don't see that as a negative from the manager. Well, I just think it was circumstance. Yeah. You know, I mean... You, you, I think you, I think he made, he made a call and he went with it and the... The players had a strong feeling at the moment, at that time, that that was what was required, and he went with it. Yeah, I, it's not his instinct. It's not how he wants to be playing. But I think he accepted at the time that was where we were at. If we wanted to kind of right the ship. All right. Well, and, well, look, yeah. t- two issues to get to here that that are really important in my mind. And you know, looking at the game, I, I think you know we could we could talk about Theo a lot more. We've talked about him a lot. We could. You know, wax poetic about Ozil's goal. I think we get the point. It was sensational. I think what we have to talk about now is Shaka. And 
you know, again, the, the polarizing player always just seems to wind up being the, the deepest lying central midfielder. Um, yeah. When it was Cazorla, there were people that didn't like Cazorla. And when it's Coughlin, there are people that aren't a fan of Coughlin. And when when it's Shaka, it's so on and so forth. Um, it's not an easy role to take on at Arsenal also because you're asked to cover a lot of ground, a lot of ground, um, and often put in challenging, if not impossible, situations. But I think you have to look at the Shaka game in two respects. So here's my quick take. Put aside, and I'm not saying put aside because you can I'm with aside, you on for this. For a second. Put aside him trying to beat a man too deep, getting the losing the ball and it leading to yep. a goal, which, by the way, I think Czech, kind of weird, ball goes in almost in the center of the goal. Um, and put aside the red card, which is never a red. It's a yellow, and he has to make that tackle there under the circumstance. But put those aside. He was our most effective passer, our highest volume passer. He played two-thirds of his passes forward, and the pl- players he completed the most passes to were Ozil, Alexis, Kazorla and Awobi, the attacking players who create dangerous moves. Plus, he set Theo up with a guilt-edge opportunity. Um, this is a guy who plays that central midfield position the way I'd like to see it played for Arsenal. Collect from deep, move the ball, advance the ball forward, quickly look to distribute to one of the, the attacking forwards or Cazorla. He's not looking to distribute to the fullbacks. He's not looking to get the ball on the flanks. He's not looking to exchange passes with Mustafi and, and Koscielny eight times or go back to check. He's looking to get it to the attacking trio or his midfield partner. And and that's how attacks are built. Now in this game, he, he played, I think, 50 of 54 passes successfully, and that was just in the time he was on the pitch. He completed 92.5% of his passes um, I actually have the stats here somewhere, but I, I think it's something along the lines of 23 or 24 of the passes were forward, like 15 were horizontal or, or you know, roughly thereabouts, and then the rest were, were, were lateral. So, you know, I, this is a progressive, front-footed, uh, possession-oriented def- central midfielder. My view of Shaka is... His defensive positioning is poor, and his tackling is poor. He gets beat. He winds up in the wrong place defensively. On the flip side, he's always available to receive the ball. He's always pushing the attack forward. And so I guess I would say if you're going to play Shaka, then defending has to be a team-oriented, design-oriented approach that Cazorla has to understand where Shaka is, that the fullbacks can't always be both pushed up because... First of all, no player, not even Francis Coughlin, can shield 50 yards of space behind the fullbacks, the attacking trio, and another central midfielder and be expected to sweep up everything the center backs can't get to. So, you know, this is a lot of word salad at this point, but I guess what I'm trying to say, Paul, is that he he played that role the way I'd like to see it played, particularly against weaker teams, progressive, distributing, um, building the attack, sort of like what Arteta did at his best when he first came in. Now, you can't eliminate the mistakes. Those matter. The first one, we see all our players do that. Ozil with that brilliant turn that wound up leading to his goal against Chelsea. How many times have we seen Santi Cazorla try to beat one or two guys off the dribble deep? We have midfielders who trust themselves on the ball and want to beat a player. Um, Shaka tried it, didn't really appreciate the danger, and, and got caught out. The bigger question is the red card. And the red card is 
tough because he gets beat and he commits a cynical foul. The first question I have for you is, do you believe it should have been a red card? No, it's it's absolute bollocks. I've never seen that. I don't care if they've talked about it over the summer. Uh, Gunner Blog said something about how, you know, if somebody has no chance, makes a, a foul with no chance of getting the ball, that's roughly half of the fouls on the pitch are fouls where there's no fucking chance of getting the ball. Are they right. all getting sent off for red cards? At what, you know, at what stage do they have so little chance of getting? I think, I think that rule's floating around. I think the referee thought it was flagrantly flagrant. I think he felt kind of on the spot to do something about it, and he did it. I've never seen that called anywhere else. I mean, to say, oh, it's a new rule this summer. We've had uh, eight games across what would that be uh let's say 20 teams so that that's like 80 games played uh and you're telling me actually i'm telling me and i'm telling me (laughs) that this hasn't been called anywhere else you know it's utter utter bollocks i think i mean if you know look john moss got a lot wrong on the day he gets a lot wrong generally and this is not a red card i think i I tell you though elliot if cock had done that you'd Give him some feckin' well, earache over well, that. Well, wait a minute, because I want to make a point. There is, in my mind, no rational comparison between this <laughs> and what Coughlin did to Kane in the North London Derby last season. Okay? Yeah, but Coughlin's on a red incident. card. There's no danger. No, I, I get it. Look, the one thing we know about Shaka is he's going to get red cards. He does. He's a bad tackler, and this was a bad tackle. I don't yep. think... but. The reason I have some sympathy for it is, one, I don't think it's a red card. And, you know, you could say, well, you give, you know, if Coughlin's on a yellow and he commits a rough challenge, he's giving the referee an opportunity to send him off. I don't think Shaka did anything. I won't make a huge point out of it, but everybody listening knows you would have reamed Coughlin for this. Well, well, let let me say this. Now, to balance that out. I wouldn't have, and I'll tell you why. Let Let me just be clear about this. My criticism of Cochran is not as tackling. My criticism is decision-making sometimes. And what I would say is that tackle, if you're already on a yellow, is an insane one to commit. That tackle, if you're about to be a three-on-two breakaway for the opposition, is what you'd want any... If Cock made that tackle and got a yellow for it, Paul, I would say bravo. That's what you want a smart defensive midfielder to do. Take one for the team, head off a counterattack. I mean, that's what's done in every game, in every league, every day. A deep-lying central midfielder commits a cynical foul that he gets a card for to stop now, a potential counter. What you said about Cochlam with the first flub? If oh, he got caught I, I mean, I, I would have said that's terrible, and that's an example of him as a liability because he's bad <laughs> on the ball. Absolutely. And by the way— anyway. But, but anyway, let me say this. We, I let's think, talk about the good stuff with Jack. Okay. But, but, but here's really the difference, right? My, my pers- the Conklin thing has kind of become for me similar to the Giroud thing, which is simply that like stylistically I prefer us to play the way we can play with Shaka, and I kind of prefer the kind of silky distributing central midfielder player that Shaka is to Conklin's more agricultural, energetic, um, uh, physical type of player. I and, resent those remarks, but I'm not uh, going to argue them Okay, today. but what I would say is, look, you could say Coughlin's a better passer than I think he is, and that may yeah. be true. Let's agree on this. The better passer is Shaka, right? Sure. Okay, so to me... No doubt. You know, and the, let's agree to this. The better player moving without the ball in possession, just in possession, not defensively, in possession in terms of being available for opponent, for, for his... his 
uh, teammates to, to give him the ball is Shaka. Sure. And that's shown just by how many pass combinations there are and how many times he receives it and, and gives it. Yeah, and how he's trusted I, by I will his... admit in every other phase of play, Coughlin is a better player. In every yeah. other phase of play. His tackling, his defensive positioning, his engine, his um, just his physical play, you know, he his decision-making arguably, you know, in terms of his tackling is better, which is saying something because he can be a little rash. Um, at the end of the day, yes. So here's the problem. How do you decide which one to play when they are not, you know, it's kind of like saying Giroud or Alexis. Yeah. It's not a question uh, of, of the quality, it's is, the style. We've talked, about, we've talked about this is they they kind of aren't really playing the same role anymore. It, it's really a three-way conversation of because they do different things depending on who is the on the field. When, when Kakla and Kazorla are on, they swap some responsibilities, and Kazorla is actually the guy dropping deep. Kazorla plays the Shaka role. <laughs> yeah, kind, yeah, kind. It's not, but it, it's again, it's not. There are things that it's a division of labor that isn't even that clean. Where you can say, oh well, Kazorla does the same thing as Chaka does. You know, they of the ten or fifteen things they're supposed to do, they actually group differently depending on which two players are on the field. And as somebody said, I'm not that averse to when. Uh, from the little we've seen of Chaka and Kakala on the on the field, I, I think there's scope for all of this. I think it's really good stuff. Um, and uh, you know, I haven't. I still have a a pieing for Kakzorla. The the big issue or the big thing for me is that last year we had one working pair in midfield till maybe Al Nenny showed up, but there was really nobody still to partner with him. And now you have. Chaka, who looks like he can be at least good with matched up with anybody else and really good matched up with a couple of players. Uh, you got Coquelin, who looks like he can put in a, a good showing with several players. And you got Cazorla, who look, who look good with probably either Chaka or Coquelin on the pitch. And you, you've just got multiple ways to go, which you need over a long season. And that, to me, is the biggest news. And I must say... Um, I I kind of, you know, I, I got stuck into Chaka a little bit yesterday because I, I think it was largely the frustration of those two incidents. He, he made two errors that, that potentially could have cost us points. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to dismiss them. Yeah, I and just he did think... get skinned by Barrow. I mean, it wasn't, ju- you know, we can say, we can debate whether it's a red or a yellow card, but he got skinned. Oh, yeah, uh, he got totally, he's, he is not a good tackler and he is not great defensively. I mean, I think... The challenge now, if you're going to play with Shaka in midfield is, again, the whole system has to – you have to work as a unit to to cover some of those deficiencies. You can't expect him to to be a defensive rover. I agree. But but we also know that with Arsenal front-loading how we play, uh, you know, there are going to be times when a Cochrane or a Chaka – are actually expected to cover the whole bloody pitch, even though it's impossible. But what I what I did see the second time I watched Chaka was up till the first incident, I was really happy with uh, Chaka and Kazor. You know, people were trying to point out was it Chaka or Kazorla's was the real problem yesterday. Actually, I don't think there was a problem yesterday. I think the two of them played well. You you, you wipe out those two moments. I think both of them played really well as a team. I think Chaka not only passed really well, which is what I expected to see the second time. Uh, you know, he was he was uh, 
generally front-footed, intercepting, covering the ground. Him and Santi were covering the spaces. Um, I thought that that was a really good partnership. Um, and I was wrong for at my first pass. I think it was largely a reaction to the two incidents. Yeah. And I conflated that with previous performances where he definitely hadn't been up to snuff in my mind in terms of cover, defensive, blah, blah, blah. Well, and it, I, it, it's tough. I right? thought it was a really good performance. It, it's tough, though, because admittedly, like, you know, you if you make errors like that every game, it doesn't matter sure. what you're doing for, for the other 89 minutes. I mean, I look at it this way. This is a player in central midfield who, when he doesn't have the ball, you know he's going to be available to receive it. And when we're in possession. When he doesn't have the ball, you know he's going to be available to receive it. When he does get the ball, he's going to make a pass that finds its intended target 92% of the time, roughly. And most of the time, that target is going to be one of your attacking trio or the other central midfielder. That's exactly what you want, in theory. The problem is when we don't have the ball, his liabilities show up. Um, but but yeah. look, we, we managed to I, ride I out the storm. Quickly, I mm-hmm. just quickly say on the two uh, fuck-ups, he's a very, he seems to me a very intelligent boy. Um, I don't think it's going to be an issue long-term. He's only 23. Yeah. Uh, for a guy who looks calm, I think he's pretty freaking emotional. Um, the other thing, you know, over the, over the last while, people are like concerned that he's not playing or concerned about what it means or, you know, all this stuff. When you looked at him in any of his interviews, and I know you can't read too much into it, but I always do. He looked absolutely fine about how things were going at Arsenal, how he was viewed, how everything. I think he, as much as Wenger, have been on the same page in terms of him coming up to speed. And I think he's now right around that point where he's up to speed. I don't think he had a particular issue with any, it. He's seen, any conspiracy theory then? Any conspiracy theory then that we're, that we're not? I mean, we're not contesting the red. Now, he could argue if we got a frivolous for the appeal, that, that an extra game for a frivolous appeal, that would take you to the North London Derby, and we just don't want to risk that. The conspiracy theory is the manager wants to bring Cock back into the team and Shaka being gone for three games gives him a good long look at Cochlin getting a run on the side to really decide, do I like how we look better with Shaka or do I like how we look better with Cochlin? And he can write it off, you know, as not wanting to risk the frivolous appeal. I mean, do you have any conspiracy theory surrounding that or you think it's it's just... A, the cons- a- yeah, the conspiracy theory part of me buys, in, buys into that emotionally, but as soon as you think of it, you think, nah, can't be. Well, it's and madness because let's say Coughlin madness, got injured exactly. or something. I mean, it's yeah. just you're, you're, you're taking a risk you don't need to. I, I look at it this way, yeah. though. It could play to, into our hands in the sense that the, the league games he'll miss are Middlesbrough, Reading in the League Cup because that counts, and Sunderland away. And while you can't take any points for granted or any games for granted, th- the fact is those are three reasonable chances to put Coughlin back into the team and see, do I really like us? Now, granted, not against the toughest opposition, with all due respect, but do I really like us with Coughlin, or was that style and that flow and that dynamism I was seeing with Shaq the way to go? Because the game that follows is the North London Derby, and you're going to want to make sure you get that right. Um, we are running out of time, so I just want to move on to a couple quick things. You know what? I would wanted to get to Ramsey and what his reintroduction or possible reintroduction could, might, uh, could mean, and to what you think of Coughlin coming back into the side. But we, we'll have time to do that after the Ludigrets game in midweek um, because presumably Shaq I will play then since he won't play for the next three. 
Um, so just real quick word about Oxlade Chamberlain. Um, made some comments. Like space. Well, well, he, he made some comments that, that I didn't particularly love. Um, Goals on Sunday, I think, was the program he was on talking about. And he was on with his father, and I, you know, I, I didn't see it. I only read it. But there were comments along the lines of, yeah, I want to be playing more. And you know, when you're not playing, that's when you have to start to consider where your future is and things like that. He had a pretty decent cameo. In your mind, is this a player who the manager should be giving more time to? Is, does he have any right to, be, to feel no. aggrieved at not playing more? No, I, 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 you know, I'm not going to players saying they want to play more and, and get Nancy and stuff. I never pay, pay that too much mind. Well, they should say that, right? At that age. I mean, what, what guy at that age isn't massively in frustrated, but, it, but if you were to ask Ox, so uh, who would you drop then Ox? Are you dropping Alexis or are you dropping Theo or you don't I mean, think uh, Wobie's Wobie, been playing yeah, well? No way, yeah. So, you know, uh, uh, he's a guy who's always had his manage- his father's backing uh, and his father's close to him, which is good, but it's also bad. So, you know, I understand their impatience, but it's a win-win for us. I want him on the sideline trying to prove he should be playing, and, and, and if he's not trying to... Uh, you know, if it's not for Arsenal, if he, he's trying to get himself into the shop window for other clubs, that's okay too. Guess what? If he's good enough, we'll start playing him more and it's problem solved. So uh, I thought he did really well, but he likes open space. Uh, it's when he's up against a park bus and it's a grind, you know, can he make a difference? So if it's good for his confidence, fine. Uh, but at the end of this you know, season, you know the way I would say there's going to be some really frustrated players. Yeah, uh, and we could list who they might be, and we love we love all these players and the new players. We want to see them getting their shake. But at the end of this season, if it goes well, uh, and we don't have too many injuries, it's going to be a bu- well. They're going to be upset one way or another, either because they didn't get played or because they got injured. So. There's going to be some unhappy bunnies like we haven't seen in other seasons. We keep adding players. We don't get rid of any players. Guess what? You're going to have a lot of players who think they should be playing. And Arson's that not, not that rotatey. I mean, he's just not. Yeah. And I think, you know, we, we talked about sort of one-dimensional Theo and how he's now maybe not so one-dimensional. I think Ox maybe has that problem. He's still sort of a push-and-run Kind of he player. shouldn't be, but he is. I, I, you know, the lack of confidence, the lack of blah blah blah, whatever it is, has made him more unidimensional than he should be. I mean, there was reasons that a lot of us bought into the idea when Arson talked about him playing in midfield. There was a time when he looked like that might be quite a realistic thing. That hasn't been said for a while. You wouldn't want him anywhere near your midfield at the moment. No, I mean, you know, football produces, and, and I could actually say to some extent um, that uh, England produces a lot of these type of players, wide players who are very physically gifted, right? They can run. Yeah. They're, they're very fast. They're very powerful. And some of them sort of fade away into that one-dimensional territory. You think of like an Andrus Townsend type player, right? Um, some of them go on to be Gareth Bale. Right now, I, I realize that one one of them go on to be one, right. Well, one of them one of them go on to be Gareth Bale. Um, but you know, all, with all due respect, I mean, we we've seen players that have you know this this electrifying pace 
on the wing who come yeah. in at a young age. Pace gets and, you fuck all. I mean, yeah. otherwise you just load up football with sprinters. Well, but right. guess what? It's really only Theo and who's a sprinter who's good. And it's kind of surprising in a way too because I think the funny thing about Ox is when he first started, it looked like technically he had the technique to be more than that. And it, unfortunately it seems, you know, well, look, let's not beat up on the kid. The fact is he had a good cameo. He came on, he, he nearly set up, you know, a goal that would have killed off the game. Um, I just thought it was interesting the comments he made because I think his Arsenal career is is probably at a crossroads. Um, and ironically, in the summer, we might have seen Theo being moved on with the expectation that Ox would step forward. And in reality, Theo has massively stepped forward and it may be Tox's de- detriment. Um, we survived. We, we held out. We got the win. We got the three points. Um, a lot of interesting issues in the game. The question of Shaka's role uh, going forward and, and sort of the, the Shaka versus Cock debate will now definitely rage on as Cochrane steps back into the team for the next three domestic fixtures. Um, you have the defending, you know, a little bit ropey, a little bit concerning, maybe given that uh, I think we've been feeling really good, especially about Mustafi. So there's a lot here. We we have four fixtures that should be wins coming up. It's Ludogorets, it's Middlesbrough at home, Ludogorets home, Middlesbrough at home, Reading at home, and then Sunderland away before the North London Derby. So. Uh, should be a lot of fun football to watch, and it'll be very interesting to see how the team takes shape. We'll get into the Ramsey discussion probably after midweek, um, the Cochrane discussion a little bit more, and hopefully we'll have Tim back then. I'll be back in the studio, and uh, this will be a little bit more of a regular podcast. But thanks for putting up with us for this one. We wanted to get one out because more than anything, we just don't want to disappoint the listener. Thanks, listener. Um, Please uh, review the podcast, and the way we recommend that is you give it five stars, and then underneath that you see all kinds of nasty shit uh, and, and just lay into us and, and tell us how we suck. But the five stars, that's that's what we need. Anyway, really appreciate it. Uh, Paul, thanks for coming on. You can find Paul on Twitter at Positive My Pants. Pleasure. Top of the table-ish. Yeah, baby. man, that's, that's the other thing. It's like, yeah, it was 3-2, and yeah, it was ropey at times, but the other we were right there. Were the other results were just fine. Okay, yeah. and uh, everybody enjoy uh, the Godzilla attack, sinkhole, whatever, you know, uh, 22-man brawl points deduction on Monday between Liverpool and Manchester United. Until then, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner, and we will talk to you after Ludogratz. Cheers. Looking for a new podcast to listen to? Here's what we love, courtesy of ACAST Recommends. What's going on, everybody? This is Mac Wilds, one-third of the almighty guys next door. And if you're listening to this, we want you to be a neighbor. Now, I know you guys are probably thinking, like, what do these guys talk about? What is that? Well, listen, we talk about everything under the sun. We talk about everything that it means to be a young millennial man in today's society, whether it's finance, the type of condoms that you use, or how to deal with love issues, or lack of emotion. We talk about everything, and we go there, guys. We go there. We really, really have a lot of fun. So uh, if you guys would love to, we would love you to come on over, come mosey on down, you know, right past Sesame Street. We want you guys to come, come kick it with us. Come get some sugar. We are the guys next door. Peace. ACAST recommends. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. 
If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.